This is Scratch Your Own Itch, the one show that delivers the conversations that we're afraid to share, but need to. This show is all about creating a life worth living. I'm Logan Tyler Nelson, and I'm your host. So you're going to hear conversations with creators and entrepreneurs talk about what they do, their current and past traumas, how they became who they are, and what they are truly curious about. This is the show where we talk about the things we think about a lot, but need to talk about more. Please take note that this show is not a substitute for actually creating a life worth living, because this show will stir your beliefs, make you question what it means to create a life worth living. So my promise to you is to always give you one question to answer for yourself today, to start turning your dreams into a reality. Hey, ladies and gents, uh, before I get into this episode, I did want to just say that I appreciate you, like, so much, so, so much, and I'm going to start doing this every once in a while where I just, I share some things that I learned recently that I'm just stoked about learning, and this most recent one is, uh, I think really the idea of knowing that you're never, ever, ever going to be done. The work is only due. And I think of this right now because I know for a fact that deadlines are the only thing that really make you come alive. Uh, And so I think if there's a big thing in front of you, there's some sort of itch, you know, that you got to scratch... Make a deadline. Uh, In this episode with Loretta, you will find me going in such new places that I've never gone with an interview. And I really love it. Uh, I'm excited for you to listen to it and and hit that subscribe button. If you do end up liking it, I really appreciate that even more so. And uh, if you do listen to this and there's a part of you that listens to this and goes, ah, I should message that person that I just listened to this from, just set a timer for like a minute and start sending the message and see if you finish it. Just try it. All right. I hope you are doing amazing and enjoy this interview with the one and only. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast because I know you can be listening to so many other things right now, but you tuned in to hear and that means the world to me. And I just want you to know that you need to listen super close to this one because you're listening to it for a reason. There's some reason why you're listening to this and that cannot go unnoticed. You're the authority of your life. And we can't disregard any of that. I've got an incredible guest on with me today. Her name is Loretta Bruning. And she is the founder of the Inner Mammal Institute and author of Habits of a Happy Brain. Retrain your brain to boost your serotonin 
dopamine, oxytocin, and endorphin levels, and the science of positivity. She has been featured on NPR, Wall Street Journal, Psychology Today, Time Fox, NBC, Dr. Oz, Cosmopolitan, Cosmopolitan, <laughs> Real Simple, Men's Health, and so many other podcasts. Her bio is incredible. I'm going to definitely show it to you. Anybody who wants to read it can read it. But without further ado, I want to jump right into it with the one and only Dr. Loretta Burning. Thank you so much. Well, let's talk about the brain chemicals that we're here to talk about. Awesome. Um, I'd love to start off with a sort of, you know, is there any like little short story that you have that happened in your life? that relates to the area of uh, expertise that you're trying to constantly, um, you know, better yourself in? Yeah, well, I have two um, separate chunks of this. So one is that our happy brain chemicals were inherited from earlier animals, and they're not designed to be on all the time. They're designed to do a specific job, and when you understand the job, then you can accept your ups and downs and steer toward more ups. So that's a positive side. But then people think, well, yeah, well, why are people so crazy? So the bottom line is that our happy chemicals are controlled by neural pathways built from early experience. So when you understand like the pathways that your own early experience created, then you understand your impulses. So so that my, any story would be like how... I came to understand that my responses were built from early experience and they were just accidents of experience. And I had such strong responses. Everybody has strong responses because our animal brain is always trying to protect us. But those responses are kind of random from random experiences. And that's why we need to think about um, what power we have over them. So a story would be like... um, uh, I realized at some point, like I was already in the middle of my career, like that I had trouble making eye contact with people. And I was sort of fearful because when I was very young, uh, I was always trying to hide and stay out of the way because when I got attention, I was more likely to get dumped on. So I just just would rather not be noticed and take the risk, you know. And then when I was in my mid-career, I realized like, whoa, that's not a good thing, you know. So I had to practice making eye contact with people. And so I was going to practice by looking at um, supermarket checkers when I checked out. You know, I would just look them in the eye and that was just practice. And then I would have a bad feeling when I did that and that helped me Um, work through the bad feeling and understand it and just basically you're training your brain to say oh this feels bad but it doesn't kill you and oh it's safe after all I you know I was fearing it for no reason and um, that doesn't feel great at first but it just takes a few tries wow that's that's incredible that's oh wow Uh, so much to say I I do want to ask what do you think is the one little thing you'd love for anyone who's listening to this right now um, that 
as far as like your area of expertise or industry, you, you wish you could just clear up some potential myths about that area of psychology. Yeah. Well, this is um, coming up a lot lately. So humans have lived alongside animals for millennia and humans have always observed how animals act. And just in the interest of time, you tell me this is only 20 minutes. So animals will steal food from their own children, I swear. And animals are very competitive and have a lot of rivalry over resources and mating opportunity. And so um, today that has all become taboo, even though there was lots of research on it in the 20th century. And like I said before that, People lived with animals and they knew the truth. But today, people don't live with animals except their pets. And domesticated animals are not a, a good example of um, a, um, a, a, a wild animal that has to meet its own needs. Domesticated animals don't have to meet their own needs. So um, I, um, so animals, um, release serotonin when they get to be in a dominant position for a moment. And this is what people are always looking for. We're always looking for that, ah, I'm, I'm, I, I won, you know, I got it right. I'm in the one-up position. And you get a little bit of serotonin and that feels good. And then it's gone and you want more. And this is what motivates primates and mammals. But we are being fed the idea that animals are cooperative and altruistic and everything bad in them has come from our society. And it's just not true, but this is such a widely um, believed thing that it's very hard to, um, to discount that sort of um, social indoctrination. That's interesting. That is so wild. That is, I love that you clear that up because I just think there's, ah, uh, there's so much around the psychology of how we think and we, we are animals, you know, and we forget that sometimes. And obviously, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, I, I really should add, obviously I'm not saying that we should act like animals and steal food from children and have conflict. Not at all. I'm saying that we have to work really hard to restrain that. And we need to know that that restraining it takes work rather than think that we're able to just effortlessly, you know, everyone should just have whatever they want and can effortlessly do their own thing and blame society if there's conflict. Yeah, yeah, thank you for clearing that up. So I do, I, I think that because of the person that you are and, and what you're branding yourself as, what's a, um, what's a struggle that you have right now because of this in your business? And I just, I think it kind of helps people kind of relate with people whenever and anyone's, you know, vulnerable and just open about what they're currently struggling with in their business or their life. Sure, sure. Um, well, so uh, in the interest of time, once again, you know, there's this expression selling out, right? So if I could do something that I didn't feel 100% comfortable about um, and 
someone might tell me that that would get me more readers. And I've always said, no, 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 I don't want to do that. And people are always trying to sell me on these kind of ideas. And uh, I have the luxury right now because I'm retired to say, no, I'm going to stick to my message and not worry about quantity. And, you know, everybody is always trying to sell you their idea of, yeah, but if you, you know, if you say this or this, then you'll get a million readers. And so, you know, I'm always hearing new pitches and I'm always saying no. And then people want to say, oh, well, you're not thinking big. You're not believing in yourself. And so I have to keep debating that on both sides. Um, But um, like a simple example would be to have a public war with someone. Like I've always been diplomatic and respectful with people I disagree with. And the marketing mavens would suggest that if I would come out, come right out and say, this one's a jerk or that one's a jerk, that I would get more readers. But I think that in the long run, I would then alienate a certain segment. So, so I really don't let marketing people sell me on this kind of stuff. Oh, gosh, I could go into that. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, oh, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I'm curious, though, it would kind of lead me into this next question of, because uh, I, I think that someone's favorite quote is their favorite quote for a real reason. So do you have a favorite quote, Loretta? Mm, favorite quote? Oh, you know, my, my memory is so bad that um, <laughs> if I, oh, you know what, um, I, I kid around with people and I, I quote myself. <laughs> it's like all I can remember. Um, but a quote of my own that I that people like. Um, if you filled a room with people who said they didn't care about status, they would soon form a status hierarchy based on how much they said they didn't care. Ooh, that's that's good for <laughs> not having a good memory. That's a good one. Thank you. Well, I know it sound, I sound foolish for quoting myself, but I, I'm sure there are other people I could quote, but I can't remember them. <laughs> wow. Uh, it was a beautiful quote. Uh, I do want to know then, uh, leading off of that, even though you have your own book, which I'm going to definitely, like, shamelessly plug. I love it so much. Uh, but do you have another book that you, that you like or you, that you recommend? Yes. You know what? I, um, there's a book called Catching Fire. So it's about, it, um, it's by a guy named Richard Rangham, who's an anthropologist at Harvard and has a number of books I like. So this one, Catching Fire, it's about humans inventing fire being a central force in our evolution. And this, it made so much sense to me. So if you look at chimpanzees, in order to get enough nutrition, they have to spend the whole day chewing leaves. So they get leaves and they chew them and then they rest and then they get more leaves and they chew them. And once in a while, they're lucky to find something more nutritious like food or protein. But most of the time, they're just eating leaves. So it's as if you were eating nothing but salad with no dressing, right? And so you'd have to spend like your whole waking hour. So once humans invented cooking, Um, we could get enough calories and enough nutrition in a few minutes. And that left us the rest of the day free 
to do other things. And it's like, wow, this is such a great explanation. And, you know, so many of the anthropological theories we read today, uh, they're so politicized and they're so sort of plugging this idea that humans are um, collectivist. And, you know, the pendulum always swings. And right now, individuality is bad and we're supposed to be collectivists. And this book, Catching Fire, explains human evolution with no political overlay. It's just so, so real. I love it. Catching Fire, uh, I will Catching definitely fire. I will definitely be plugging that in. Um, I want to go into something that might be hard for you to talk about in just a short few minutes, but what do you think is the key to happiness? Oh, well, in my books, I explain that happiness comes from four chemicals, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, and endorphin. And these chemicals make us feel good. And whenever you're feeling good, you're releasing one of them. And they only are released in short spurts, and they're not meant to be on all the time. And that's why we're motivated. Got to get more, got to get more. And typically, when people drive themselves nuts, it's because... They want to get more in the ways they got it before because it's so hard for your brain to figure out new ways. And that's why we're motivated to repeat behaviors that are not necessarily good for us. So um, so what we really like is all of them. And since if you drive yourselves crazy to get a big spurt, it's still going to end and then you're going to drive yourself crazy for another big spurt. So I think the key to happiness is small steps. So small steps toward dopamine, small steps toward serotonin. And that's all explained in my book. Small but continual steps, like keep doing it. And um, dopamine is basically stepping toward a goal. Serotonin is feeling important and respected. Oxytocin is giving and receiving trust. And endorphin, we are not meant to chase it because it's only there to um, mask pain and we're not meant to inflict pain on ourselves to get it. So that's as short as an answer as I can give. <laughs> no, that's perfect. It's perfect. Um, I, uh, that's one of the reasons why I actually loved your book is the short steps. Uh, that's something that I've implement, implemented in my life as much as I can because I think that Oftentimes we try to go, oh, I want to write a book. And that's like such a huge thing for so many people to do. And it's really the short steps. It's writing a one paragraph at a time, breaking it down, yeah. and yeah. Uh, being able to fulfill it at the end. Uh, which is, I mean, you're a writer yourself. You know that very well. So I'm preaching yeah. the choir. Um, but I just got a few more questions since we're about to come in here for a landing in 20 minutes. Sure. I would love to ask you where more people could find your your content and what you're putting out there. Great. Um, go to the innermammalinstitute.org, innermammalinstitute.org. And I have lots and lots of resources. Most of them are free, everything but the books. And every way you like information, video, reading, podcasts, whatever. That is just, that is, that is awesome. So, all right, uh, I got a specific question for you, just because of your area of expertise. Um, 
I'm really curious about why somebody can can know exactly like inside their head that they're they're going to get this thing and it it could be money it could be like maybe a relationship or it could be a bot like your a physical body and then once they have that thing all of a sudden they're still just not happy why do you think that is yeah Okay, so dopamine is released when you expect a reward. So it's the expectation that stimulates, that triggers dopamine, and that triggers action. And that's what dopamine evolved for, and that's how it works in animals. You feel good because you're expecting a reward, so you approach. And the closer you get, the more dopamine. I'm expecting, I'm expecting, I'm expecting. So once you get it, then, excuse me, uh, then you have no more dopamine. And that's exactly how it's meant to work. Nothing is wrong with you. Nothing is wrong with society. It's because in the monkey world, there was no refrigerator. When you found a meal, you digested it in a few hours and you had to find more. So that's what it's designed for is to motivate seeking. And so how can we get the good feeling without uh, harming ourselves with like excessive seeking of like a a gallon of ice cream or a bottle of wine. So again, it's small steps. And a simple, simple example would be if I have a mess on my desk and I could say, I'm going to clean up one square foot of that mess in the next 15 minutes. And after that, I'm going to reward myself with 10 minutes of comedy. So that's an example. Uh, I just, I'm, I'm like, I'm loving that. That just, uh, I think it's, it's so incredible because it's like, we almost have a better feeling when we're fantasizing about something than actually yeah. having it. And yeah. it's like wild how that works. And Oh, well, like, the other part of it, when you're fantasizing, there's no risk. But once you take actual steps, you're aware of the risks of what can go wrong. And that's what holds many people back. But once you start, then you say, well, I'm going to take steps every day. And if something goes wrong, then I'll just take a step about that to fix that. So once you get that joy of moving forward, it's great. But um, many people, I guess, get lost in daydreaming and, and fear uh, fear what might go wrong if they take action. Uh, Laura, I could talk to you forever about this subject because I'm just like, I mean, I'm, I mean, who doesn't love talking about themselves, right? Like, I'm just jazzed. I guess all of us like to talk about humanity and why we do the things we do. But lastly, I want to leave off with something that's really, 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 really um, just close to my heart because I know a lot of us like listen to self-help stuff or we read psychology books and sometimes we just consume, but we don't actually do anything with it. And that's like mm -hmm. my nightmare for this podcast called Scratch Your Own Itch, where I, I really want people to take in, you know, action on the itches that they have and start to scratch them. So by doing that, what's like a piece of homework or maybe some question, self-inquisitive question or something that people can do after listening to this? Oh, okay. That's a great idea. Um, first is to understand why people don't take action, it's because of cortisol. So cortisol is a brain chemical that makes you feel like you're threatened. And it's a, not just the words and thoughts in your head, but it's a full body sensation. And when you 
get that, it's because something similar harmed you in your early experience and that turns it on and makes you think that you're about to be harmed today if you go forward with this step. But if you go forward with the step anyway, then you will find that, oh, it didn't kill me. And then you train your brain that it doesn't kill you. And a simple, you want a simple step, a simple example. I had the funniest one. Um, my dentist told me that I needed to floss. And I tried to floss and it was like, ew, that's hard and it hurts and it's I'm tired and who wants to do that? And so my dentist said, okay, floss one tooth. Will you do that for me? And so, of course, I felt like, well, I'd be an idiot if I couldn't agree to floss one tooth. And so just by then, that's the idea of small steps. So by flossing one tooth, and then if I had to floss one tooth every day, then I'd say, well, while I'm doing one, I'll do two. And frankly, it took a while. And then it started feeling good. But in the beginning, it really hurt. And it hurt because I needed it because I hadn't done it that, um, you know, when when it's sort of like a flabby muscle, when you first try to exercise, it feels bad. So that's why we need to take continual small steps. Yeah. Wow. This has just been such a delicious conversation. Like, uh, I know that someone's going to take something away from this. So small steps is key. <laughs> I really know for a fact that's true. Well, so many things, not just mindset, but business, creativity, uh, podcasts, working out. I mean, it is a philosophy that can be carried on to so many things. And I wish I could talk to you for hours and hours longer. But Loretta, I just want to say thank you so much and acknowledge you for all your work and what you're doing. And I know that for a fact, this won't be the last time we're speaking. Great. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate how much you understand it. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. <laughs> wow. You made it to the very end of the show. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of Scratch Your Own Itch with your host, Logan Tyler Nelson. To make it to the end... Gosh, that doesn't happen very much nowadays. I mean, especially with the constant distraction. So I appreciate all of the efforts that you just took out of your day to make it to the end. And if you hit that subscribe button and leave a review, you would have no idea what that would mean to me. So thank you so much for taking the time to hit that subscribe button. And if you leave a review, check it out. Just screenshot it, send it to me, and I'd love to host your review out on the show. But don't ever forget, like I say, you matter and you're enough.